Before we get started, I'll just give you a little bit of a heads up. There may be some explicit language in this movie. So if there are any kids in the car listening, maybe uh, don't let them listen to this show because there is some language and we just want to let you know that before we get started. It's not Uncle Trev and Uncle Steve. It's the Hollywood to blame. I'm going to make them an offer again. I feel the need. The need. He's watched every movie more than once. He's Stephen Fennec. Go ahead. Make my day. He's watched the latest Disney movies with his kids, uh, but that's about it. He's Trevor Long. You talking to me? Together, they bring you the best movies you've never seen. I will look for you. I will find you. And I will kill you. Rent BioStream, the latest and greatest movies on Fetch. Watch on a big screen Hisense TV. The best movies you've never seen. The first rule of Fight Club is you do not talk about Fight Club. With Stephen Fennick and Trevor Long. This is the captain. Brace for impact. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to The Best Movies You've Never Seen. This is the podcast where I, Stephen Fennec, a dedicated movie nerd, watch a movie that I've seen many times before and introduce it to my good friend, Trevor Long, who has never seen it before. Trevor, how are you doing? I just never got into movies. I mean, (laughs) blame my mum, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Is this some sort of childhood neglect? I don't know. But um, I just didn't have it like you do. You were busy building websites and stuff, mate, when you were a kid. <laughs> you were into Maybe the websites and watching race, car races yeah. and stuff. That was it. Yeah. But I, I know for a fact you've never seen this movie. The movie we're talking about is American Psycho, starring mm. Christian Bale. It was released in the year 2000, based on the very controversial book by Brett Easton Ellis. Now, I think... We're going to go into what you think of this movie and, and probably you're thinking, what the hell is this movie? Just to set the scene, okay, this is a twisted satire and it's more actually a black comedy, If would you believe? This is a comedy. Not The name American Psycho, initial thoughts, which I'll ask you about in a minute, you might think, my God, what's happening here? The movie was very faithful to the book. So it's all about the ex- excess of the 80s and, and yuppie culture. You heard of, remember that term, yuppies? Yeah. We don't use that anymore, do we? Yeah, young, upwardly mobile professionals. This was the big Ah. thing in the 80s. That's what yuppie stands for, young, upwardly mobile professional. And this is is the epitome of yuppie culture in the 1980s, but taken to an extreme, which we'll get to. Now, when this book was released back in 1991 – it was so controversial and violent that they the, the classification board gave it an R rating. 
It was the I think the only time I've ever remembered where the book could only be sold shrink wrapped. You couldn't wow. buy it. It was under the counter. They couldn't display it. You could only buy it by asking for it, and it was shrink wrapped. You had to be over eighteen to buy it as well. So, mate, you, you had never seen this. So, did you have any impression on this at all? Had you heard of it before? No, like zero. I got nothing. I I, I in 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 writing my notes, I went. I have barely heard of this. I think. You're the only reason I know the words American Psycho together. Yeah. Um, I literally have nothing. I come into this going, what? I, I come into this going, who's Christian Bale and what the hell is this? Like, that's that's me. Had you not heard of Christian Bale before? I mean, you, if, have, did you know of him? Again, if it was a millionaire question, I'd pick, I'd pick him as an actor. Okay. But no. Nah. Right. <laughs> Well, people, people yeah. listening, driving and go, this bloke, like, he couldn't be making this up. Well, look, I'll, look, I'll grant you this wasn't the, like, this wasn't like a Ben-Hur type release. This was kind of a, a cult movie. It wasn't like a massive Star Wars level, top, you know, release mm-hmm. on a grand scale. But I think what it was, it was for people like myself who's read the book and then, hang on, they're making a movie of this? I'm going to see that. Yeah. So you not reading the book and not even knowing about the book, you're thinking, hey, who cares? Like you're probably not going to gonna do it. But I think the 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 fan base of Brett Easton Ellis as an author, and this isn't the only mo- uh, book of his that was turned into a film. The previous film of his uh, book of his was um, Less Than Zero, which was that was um, that was also made into a film as well. But this was uh, quite a controversial production. It was filmed mainly in Toronto and in some parts of downtown New York. The production was interrupted by protests from women's groups who were oh. protesting the violence against women and the sort of misogynistic nature of the main character. They knew of the book, right, okay. They knew of the book, but it was actually, though, directed by a woman. <laughs> so it had a female director. So I think the, the sensibilities were, were there, but uh, the, the, the book, while being faithful to – the movie, while being faithful to the book, was still had its own voice anyway. So um, – We'll get into that a bit later, but I'm going to blow your mind right now, okay? And mm-hmm. I will explain something to you why I think this movie is like Seinfeld. Oh, come on. I'll t- <laughs> You're kidding. Uh, hear me out, right? Hear me out. What makes Seinfeld funny to you? For, I'll tell you why it makes it funny for me. It's the, the minutiae of the show that they that they deal with so this little these little details about little stupid meaningless things that become funny would you agree with Stephen, that Stephen, we've been friends a long time you are <laughs> pushing the friendship tonight but then but let me answer my question do you, do you yes. reckon do you agree you're right that? about the minutiae yes okay this movie does the same thing it deals with minutiae and the minutiae i'm talking about is fashion labels watch brands all these little things that he focused, the main character focuses on. So that's this is kind of a dark version of that type of show. Seinfeld's funny. This is a this is a comedy of sorts, but it's a darker, much blacker comedy than Seinfeld. But they, what they have in common is that emphasis on minutia, that little details, and 
mate. I've watched it enough times to know that they they do talk brand labels. And the book is like reading a catalogue when you're reading it. Every character is described. He was wearing this and this type brand of shirt and this coat and all that. It's just mm. such a focus on the the material things in 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 the movie in the book that carries over into the movie as well. There's uh, no regular plot to, to speak of, and I think that's probably what you said. What is this? But it is I, – I look at it as like a series of episodes. The, the, a couple of little threads that run through it, but it's a series of episodes that we sort of witness this character, this character, Patrick Bateman. All righty. This is our last exit before the freeway. We are going to dive into the movie. All the movies that we do watch are available uh, to stream on Fetch, and this movie in particular, it's a bit harder to get hold of. I think you can only watch it on Blu-ray, which is how Trevor watched it. I lent him my Blu-ray disc. But any other movie we talk about, of course, you can watch on Fetch. And one of the things I think a lot of people don't know about Fetch is the Fetch mobile app, Fetch Moby. You can watch your channels, your subscription channels on the uh, on the Fetch app. You can download to go. So you can download movies and shows to watch when you're not connected to the internet. So if you're about to travel and you've got a bunch of shows on your fetch you can download them to your to your mobile app it's I'll also be before, i'll be doing that before we go to ces mate exactly a handy second remote so if you've uh if you're trying to control the tv while the kids have got the remote or you've lost the remote the app can be remote and of course you can set and watch recordings uh straight there from the fetch mobile app so if you've got a fetch box and you haven't dug into the fetch app Download it now, pair it with your box, and you will be blown away by what it brings you. And, of course, they bring you the best movies you've never seen. So you really – there really are no impressions for you to give us after your first watch, is there, mate? There were no pre-watch impressions. Now, okay, you watched it one time. Hmm. Do you have any impressions? Stephen. <laughs> <sighs> I know we're mates, so, you know. I might, I might, I might, I might have put you through something here. I often make copious notes, all right? And I said to you, I can't make notes. This is too complex to, to do. So um, we're yeah. going by your scenes here today. But I have made one word impression after first watch. One word. Okay. Horrible. <laughs> I just, okay. mate, I don't get it. Couldn't I, get it. Yeah, I struggled right. to follow it. I, I, mate, wow. I was just, it's just, I feel yeah. like you have to watch this more than one time. But I don't want to like it's yeah i'm torn by this because i know i i notice you know the the detail the 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 exotic level of uh, of fit out for his apartment the the yeah. clothes and the watches he were I, I could tell that that was this you know you know high high roller kind of uh, lifestyle thing I, I got that but i just made honestly it it just bounced around there's this there's this fantasy and reality stuff in it man i, I just there's no way i would have made it to the end if we weren't doing this show <laughs> no, that's you know what that's fair because I think, and I mentioned before, you weren't invested in it. Yeah, reading a book, I was totally invested in this because I'd I'd read you know the the book American Psycho, which I'm show, we're on video now. I'm showing I've I've read this book. This is the only book I've read multiple times. I've never read any other book multiple times. I'm worried about you. That's now. the only book I've read multiple times because and and just i'll talk later about sort of movie v book but it was when it was announced as a movie i thought i have to see this i was yeah. all over it because i'd read the book so many times i was just really keen to see how they're going to adapt this to the screen what are they going to leave in what are they going to leave out how are they going to do this because it was you know quite violent in parts and, the, yep. and there's so much stuff to fit in 
Uh, yeah, just like anyone else listening who's ever read a favourite book. Like last week, for example, Jaws was based on a book. Mm. And there were plenty of people who read that hoping that the ad- adaptation was faithful. But it was the sort of subject and director attached to it that you didn't need to read the book. You were there. This, I think, is a different kettle of fish. Even if you haven't read the book, I think once you hear our explanation and our interpretation of it, I think that you can go in and, and give this give this a watch. I reckon yeah. this is probably the show where you could probably listen to this now before you've even seen it and then go in and appreciate it. If I'll you, be honest if, with yeah. you. I actually yeah. think you shouldn't exit before the freeway. If you did, you're an idiot yeah. because actually I, I feel like, yeah, I feel like this needs to be explained, but it doesn't. There's probably only the last part of this that would spoil anything. There's not really yeah. a lot of spoiling not, not to be spoil, done. Actually, no. yeah, not a lot of spoil. No. It's it's more like a like I said. There's not much plot. It's more an experience. We're on an experience. But, but I also think, above many others, this movie may well be one of those ones that has multiple interpretations as well. Correct. I, Absolutely I feel like right. That's a big part of it. Absolutely right. Well, let's get into the cast. The cast was pretty strong. Christian Bale, who plays Patrick Bateman, this was his career-making role. He after this film, it set him on a path. He went on to play uh, Batman. He won an Oscar for The Fighter. So he's sort of an A-list actor nowadays. Jared Leto, who plays Paul Allen, he was in Fight Club. Also went on to win an Oscar for Dallas Buyers Club. You know the movie he co-starred yeah. with um, with Matthew McConaughey. He won Best Supporting Actor for that. A young Reese Witherspoon was in this movie too, who played Evelyn. So it was Patrick's fiance. She went on to – she was in uh, Wild. Remember that show, Wild, where she played the, the woman who goes tr- on the trek? I actually met Reese Witherspoon at L.A. airport. Uh, uh, when I was on my way to Portland, it was her and her co-star, Laura Dern, from Wild. Met both of them at the airport after I'd seen their movie on the plane on the way over to L.A. It was cool. Did hit him up for a selfie it. too, ladies and gentlemen. Absolutely, yeah. I'll, uh, I'll share that one. Uh, she also went on to win an Oscar. So the, so these three young actors, Jared Leto, Reese Witherspoon, Christian Bale, nobody's on this movie, all have stellar careers, all win Oscars in, wow. the, in, the, in the future. Willem Dafoe, who plays the detective, Detective Kimball, he's a four-time Oscar nominee, play, was in Platoon, was also a player who had, had a role in Sp- the original Spider-Man. And did you notice a guy in this movie? Are you a fan of that show Silicon Valley? Have you ever seen that show on yes. HBO, Silicon yeah, yeah. Valley? Yeah. The guy who plays Lewis Carruthers, who's the guy, uh, he was the guy who his girlfriend was Courtney in the movie. He's mm. the guy where he think when Patrick Bateman tries to strangle him, he thinks he's making a pass at him, that guy, Lewis Carruthers. Right. He played Gavin Belson in Silicon Valley. Remember, he was the boss of the oh, Google Belson, type company? Yeah, of course, yes. Yeah, he was in that. I thought you might have recognised him. But anyway, the, before we jump into the memorable scenes, we also want to mention our other great sponsor, Hisense. And look, do yourself a favour. If you're in the market for a telly, I've got some advice. Go big or go home and buy the iSense 85-inch TV. Just do it. A friend of mine the other day was asking for advice. I recommended an 85-inch 4K UHD TV. And guess what? He bought it. And yes. he loves it. 
So if the, the, all the range of high-sense TVs, they're all 4K. So the, the, the models are at, the, at the top end have mini LED technology as well, so it gives you better color. There's even 8K models available as well. They've all got features that will suit you if you're a gamer. Like they've got all got game modes, variable refresh rates, automatic low latency mode. They've got Dolby Vision and Dolby Atmos, so great sound, and also Dolby Vision, which is high dynamic range. So your movie's going to look fantastic. And sizes available from from 43 inches all the way to 85. But you know what? Do what we do. Go big. 85 inches is the way to go. That's how you want to find out more. That's it. Highsense.com.au if you want to find out more. Your next TV is waiting for you right there. All right. I'm going to steer you through this one, mate. Okay. So we first yep. meet Patrick Bateman. Uh, he's uh, he's at dinner. He's in a nightclub. He He's you, you really at this point of the, of the movie, you don't really know who he is, but he seems like a normal guy, but he decides to order a drink in the bar and you think, hang on, what's going on here? Don't be on the rocks. He's not good anymore. It's a cash bar. Only $25. You're a fucking ugly bitch. I'm going to stab you to death and then play around with your blood. That was uh, the first thing you're thinking, hang on, what's this guy's jam? But you see, he, we sort of move through his life. You see that he lives on West 81st Street in the, I think the American Gardens building he calls it. You know who else yep. lives in West 81st Street, mate? Jerry. Jerry Seinfeld, uh, their neighbours, Patrick Bateman and, and Jerry Seinfeld. That's why there's the link, mate, the link. Seinfeld, American Psycho, very similar. <laughs> so anyway, we find out what, what I love about this is the introduction of Patrick Bateman. You know straight away he's, you know, he's, he's, he's all about appearances. He's got a beautiful apartment, but he's also got a really rigorous morning routine. After I remove the ice pack, I use a deep pore cleanser lotion. In the shower, I use a water-activated gel cleanser. Then a honey almond body scrub. And on the face, an exfoliating gel scrub. So he, he does like to take care of himself. This was a very that- meticulous scene. Like, this was, this was very clearly shot to set his character up from the get-go as meticulous as vain just like who the heck is doing I, I i sat there going is this is this what is this my problem do i not do enough of this like what is he doing <laughs> this is crazy but did you like did you go out and buy one of those those gel packs for no, your puffy eyes i did not it does these crunches with the the the, the uh the face pack the eye pack but yeah, also too happening you, you you notice that all the things he was talking about after shave with no alcohol, this and this and this, mm. because it makes you look old. He doesn't want to look old. You know, he's he's all about looking young. And mm. in the book, that that section, right, that was like thirty seconds in the movie, is an entire chapter. Wow, a section. It talks about his what he does for his teeth, what he does for his hair. He all this stuff that he it just goes on for an entire chapter. So that was just a snippet of uh, of of his preparation there. But then we sort of we we know that he's uh, you know he's in. He, we see then him he's in a cab with his fiance, um, and they're heading to a nightclub, and he's a really annoyed with her though. And oysters on the half shell. I'm trying to listen to the new Robert Palmer tape, but Evelyn, my supposed fiance, keeps buzzing in my ear. Any Leibovitz will get any Leibovitz. 
and we'll have to get someone to videotape. Patrick, we should do it. Do what? Get married, have a wedding. No, I can't take the time off work. Your father practically owns the company. You can do anything you like, silly. I don't want to talk about it. I hate that job anyway. I see why you just don't quit. Because I want to fit in. <laughs> just like the setup here is just like so wow. Because there's a setup of him as a character, and at this point you're thinking this guy's an asshole for a start. But it's then also very clear that this is going to be one of those movies where that inner voice narration. Yes, there's uh, a lot of that. Yeah, you're right. Yep. Yeah. And yep. I don't mind that because it just, once you know it, see, my problem with that early scene in the nightclub is like, dude, what the hell? But then you realize, hang on, okay, this is a narration, it's inner voice stuff. Just, this is the stuff that, unless yeah. you know it going in, I'm not sure you, you're ready for it. It, it, can, it can hit you too hard if you're not yeah. expecting that kind of movie. I think it needs it too because of the book is so, there's so much in the book that you got to, you had to shoehorn into this. That was an effective tool to use that the voiceover, and and it does just because a lot of the book is his own thoughts. The book's in the yeah. first person, so the book's read. You read it like he's talking to you. It's I, me, my. It's in the first person. Right. Okay. A lot of that stuff in the book, where he's describing, you know, I'm, I'm I, I need to do this. I've got to do that, and his emotions at that particular time, what he feels about someone, is there. And and, and that in that scene where they go to Espacho, the restaurant. He thinks he looks over at his mate Bryce. He goes, "I'm pretty sure he's sleeping with he's sleeping with his girlfriend." Remember, he says that. I'm pretty sure they're having an affair. So you, you kind of he's he's in the thoughts of something that we need there. It's very hard to reveal that to to have that sort of exposition just just what, that, with any other way. Yeah, yeah, you're right. In terms of screenplay and direction, it'd be hard to do it any other way. The other yeah. part of this opening kind of stanza is this bit in the laundry where he's. <laughs> He's standing there with white sheets, which he's wanting stained. to get them cleaned. They're stained with... What do you reckon, because, what do you reckon that is? Well, because the movie's called American Psycho and it's clearly violent, you think, well, that, what, how's he taking blood-stained sheets in? And he's interrupted by a woman and he says it's cranberry. I mean, I just... This is the point where I go, mate, what the hell are you watch, making me watch? <laughs> and the woman who bumps into him, she says, can you talk sense into these people? He goes, I've got to go. And she goes, oh, why don't we get together? And she goes, look, I'm busy. What time? He goes, what about Saturday? He goes, oh, no, I've got to I'm, – I'm going to a matinee of a Les, Miser Les Miserables so, to, so he can get away. But um, the he did mention in the in the earlier scene uh, Courtney, which is his mate's, his mate's Lewis Carruthers' girlfriend, and mm. he, he also says in that first scene that he's having an affair with her. So he suspects his mate of having an affair with his girl, but he's having an affair with his mate's – his other mate's girl <laughs> – and he calls her and says he's taking her to Dorsia. Now, Dorsia is the restaurant. This is, I describe Dorsia as like, I know you've never read Moby Dick, right? But there's Ahab and there's this white whale, Moby Dick. It's sort of, right. it's this goal that he's desperate to achieve. Dorsia is Patrick Bateman's white whale. We're going to hear mention of it. He can, he's, his ultimate goal is to get a reservation at Dorsia. So yeah. he lies to her and tells her, oh, we've got a reservation at Dorsia. She's out of it. She's on, on depressants and whatever. She's, she's totally out of it. And Because uh, I they, love this part of the scene. They sit down at a table, and she's off her mind on drugs or whatever, and they, they actually show a shot of him picking up the menu, and it's very clearly not Dorsia. And then you realise oh, he's just yeah, taking it for a ride. This is Dorsia? She is, yes, it is. It's very well done, that scene. Yeah, and I love the fact that he he orders for her, and he quotes the review about the dish. 
that he's about, they're about to order. So there's that level of detail in it as well. But I think this next scene where they're in the board meeting, they're about to have a meeting, <laughs> this is my favourite scene in the whole movie, right? This Honestly, is my favorite scene. I'm with you. I'm yeah, 100% with you. So we, we, it starts off where Paul Allen mistakes him for someone else. Hello, Halber Stram. Nice tie. How the hell are you? Alan has mistaken me for this dickhead Marcus Halberstram. It seems logical because Marcus also works at PMP and in fact does the same exact thing I do. He also has a pension for Valentino's suits and Oliver Peoples' glasses. Marcus and I even go to the same barber, although I have a slightly better haircut. <laughs> he has a slightly better haircut. What a wanker. But his mate walks in, so the other guys walk into the meeting and... They, he asks him about what he's doing. I think he wants to play wants to play squash or racquetball or something. Hey, Alan. Congratulations on the Fisher account. Thank you, Baxter. Listen, Paul, squash. So here's where he's handing him the business card. Yep. Call me. What, Friday? No can do. I got an 830 res at Dorcia. Great. Sea urchin ceviche. Dorcia on Friday night. How do you swing that? I think he's lying. <laughs> How did he swing that? Friday night res at Dorsia. It was just like saying, "Is the ultimate the ultimate thing to tell your friends to show off?" It's, your you know, it's just it's it's a pissing contest, basically. This, this absolutely moment, yeah. But this is the bit, and in in the book, uh, this happens in a different place. The 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 business card. I think they show the business cards in a bathroom, but in in the in the movie they made it, and it was it was very cleverly done here with this and. Patrick decides to get out. He's, you know, he's very proud of his new business cards. New card. What do you think? Oh, very nice. Look at that. Picked them up from the printers yesterday. Good coloring. That's bone. And the lettering is something called Cillian Braille. It's very cool, Bateman, but that's nothing. Look at this. That is really nice. Eggshell with Romalian type. What do you think? Nice. Jesus. That is really super. How do nitwit like you get so tasteful? I can't believe that Bryce prefers Van Patten's card to mine. But wait. You ain't seen nothing yet. Raised lettering. Pale Nimbus. <laughs> White. Impressive. Very nice. Mm. Let's see Paul Allen's card. Subtle off-white coloring. The tasteful thickness of it. Oh my god! It even has a watermark. <laughs> hey, me, you know the thing. It's, a, it's it's just for such a funny thing to author to to write in a book because if you were to describe eighties excess yuppies, you would imagine them. I don't know, pulling up at someone's house and comparing cars. Do you know what I mean? Like. He's, he pulls up in a Ferrari, next bloke pulls up in a rare Porsche, you know, do you know what I mean? Like that's the kind of scene that it was, was, you know, it was a contest and they were, it was a contest over font, embossing, um, you know, card stock. And, and we're not talking about graphic design here. We're talking about a font. 
It's that minutiae I was telling yeah. you about. It's the focus on these little things and that he was offended and, and worried that someone else liked their a business card better yeah. than his. <laughs> it really just shows his state of mind uh, going in. But the next, the next scene we get to is he's walking home at night, and this is the first time uh, that we actually – I think it's the actually the only time. There's, there's twice. The first time, there's only a couple of times we actually see him kill someone. Yeah. This is the first one we see where he sort and of And you see this one coming. Like, yeah. He's a homeless guy and his dog, and he, he keeps asking. Remember what he was asking? is why, why don't you get a job? Yeah. What are you trying to do? He was, like, he was just such a rude asshole to him. You could tell that this was yeah. about to go downhill for the homeless man. Yeah, so you, you thought initially that he was going to – I think he initially offered him some cash. And the guy said, oh, thank you so much. You're so kind. But instead he pulls out a knife and stabs him to death and kills his dog. And oh. pretty confronting scene. It's pretty ugly. But the very next – that cuts the next shot is him getting a facial the next day and the woman commenting, oh, what beautiful skin you have, Mr. Bateman. And then he's on a tanning bed. And then you hear his voiceover once again saying, I've got no emotion. There's no emotion – you might shake my hand and feel flesh and bone, but you know, there's nothing there. You know, the, my, my mask of sanity is about to slip. The tanning and, bed scene, I think, is a fascinating one because he's butt naked, like like yeah. down to the absolute nth degree. But he's lying there, and he. I think they position this, and you know, he's he's casting, let alone his workout to build that body. He's positioned to be, you know, the perfect specimen. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know I mean, you look at it and you go. Well, I mean, even I can see that that's a perfect specimen. Yeah, he's got a great vibe, absolutely. You know? good, good chassis, for sure. And, and and Christian Bale did a lot of work to get mm. into that sort of shape. Uh, he even he even had dental work done to to change his smile. Wow, he, really? He had to improve his teeth. He goes, look, this guy's rich Wall Street bloke. He's not going to have teeth like this. So he had to get, his, he had to get dental work as well. Yeah for the role. So it just goes to show how dedicated he was. So next thing we look at, we see is him having dinner with Paul Allen, but he's not Patrick Bateman. Remember, he mistook him for Halberstram? That's right. And he's he's having dinner with Halberstram, but with, with uh, Pat, well, who he thinks is Halberstram, but he does mention someone that we know. I like to dissect girls. Did you know I'm utterly insane? Uh, <laughs> uh, Great tan, Marcus. I mean, really impressive. Where do you tan? Salon. I've got a tanning bed at home. You should look into it. And uh, uh, Cecilia, how is she? Where is she tonight? Cecilia's, uh, well, you know, Cecilia. I think she's having dinner with um, Evelyn Williams. Evelyn. Great ass. Goes out with that loser Patrick Bateman. What a dork. <laughs> this is this is what this is another aspect of the movie that fascinates me. Is they're all they all look the same. Yeah. They're all the same. That's why so many people mistake and, and later on in the movie people mistake people for the they, they call people by the wrong name. I think Paul Allen in that meeting called his mate the wrong name. Bryce called him something else. Right. So and it, this is another classic case where he's told more than once that Patrick Bateman's a dork. We'll hear that other quote later. But he's hearing this about himself. So, but I think also that that speaks to me as much about them looking the same as it does about them being so uh, self aware, self centered, yeah. and selfish that they just don't even remember or care for the people that are around them. You know what I mean? Like they're focused yeah. on themselves wholly and solely, and they don't care. It's just a being. It's just a person. 
But that's the irony of it too, to me, is the fact that they're trying to be individual. They're trying to be to stand out from the crowd. Yet they're mm. they're, they're all they're all the same. It's like a cookie cutter kind of thing going on. They're all the same job. They wear the same glasses, same suits. They go to the same barber. All these things that they're doing, they're not really standing out at all. But anyway, they get back to uh, his apartment, and the you know Paul Allen's got a few under his belt by now, and he's sort mm. of not really aware of his surroundings and. I love, this is the first of many monologues that uh, Patrick Bateman has about music. He oh, talks yes. About, yes. In this instance, he's talking about Huey Lewis and the news. And yes. again, in the book, those monologues, in the movie, they're worked into scenes. In the book, those, those monologues are entire chapters. There's an entire chapter on Huey Lewis and, and others that we'll talk about later. That's an entire chapter of what he thinks about the music. So in the middle of him, he's talking about, he's talking about the music. And in the meantime, he's preparing to do something. Hey, Albert. Yes, Alan. Why are there copies of the style section on the play? Do you, do you have a dog, a little chow or something? <laughs> no, Alan. Is that a raincoat? Yes, it is. In 87, Huey released this. Four, their most accomplished album. I think their undisputed masterpieces, Hip to Be Square. Song so catchy, most people probably don't listen to the lyrics, but they should, because it's not just about the pleasures of conformity and the importance of trends, it's also a personal statement about the band itself. Hey, Paul! Ah! <laughs> that was pretty brutal. That was pretty brutal. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but but again, you know it's coming, right? It's it's as much you know you it's coming as much as the the homeless man because the uh, as is depicted in the words, but also in the scene, he's putting on a raincoat. He, there's paper all over the floor. The lounges are covered. <laughs> like this is as much a, a mob hit as it is, you know, a bloke planning to kill someone. But you know, obviously this this presents a lot of potential plot holes. It's like so he was always oh, going to yeah. do this, you know, exactly, but, exactly. But as soon as I started watching this, I realized we were ignoring plot holes here because this was. Well, we'll get world. to that. We'll get to that. But the the thing that made me laugh here was that he he stops, lights up a cigar, sits there, and you think, yeah. okay, what's next? And the next scene, your your next thing you see is him pulling. He's got this big bag where obviously Paul Allen's body's in this bag, and he's dragging it out, putting it in the back of a taxi, and then his mate Lewis Carruthers walks past. He goes, Patrick, is that you? And then he sees him loading this body. Well, look, he doesn't know it's a body. And the, what what question does he ask? Where did you get that duffel bag? <laughs> <laughs> he was asking. Not but interestingly, what, what body. <laughs> the the wife or partner. Yeah, um, it was his friend. It was his friend who was whose father was about to go buy a bar that they were looking at. Yeah, irrelevant. The woman yeah. looks in the boot as if to say, "Is he taking a body?" Like she has the opposite thought. He's looking at the bag. She's looking at what the heck's in the bag. What I thought that was, that was a nice little no, no word spoken, just a just a cutaway. Yeah, like she was. She's obviously outside the circle of this sort of this reality yes. distortion field, to quote Steve Jobs. But next scene, we see he's taken now Paul back to uh, next. He's taken the body in the book. He takes the body to this apartment that he's got uptown, and he's just dissolving the body in a bath of, of acid or whatever. Next thing we see in the movie, though, is him going to Paul Allen's apartment. And and the voiceover, again, it was fantastic, saying, oh, I just experienced sheer panic realising that his apartment overlooks the park and is obviously more expensive than mine. 
<laughs> he's, just, he's just murdered the bloke, but he's worried that his apartment costs more than him. So he's what he does here. Remember, he in the he takes he goes into his cupboard, takes a suitcase, packs his bag, tries to imitate him on the answering machine. Yeah, oh, leaves a voicemail go. message on his answering machine. Yeah, so he he's uh, giving everyone the impression that he's uh, he's out of town. But then we come to the next scene where he's in his office listening to music. Yep. And then the detective, so D- Donald Kimball, comes in asking about Paul Allen. And he's asking, you know, where, you know, where have, have you, have you know of where, where, of his whereabouts? And he, he was like, he's, he was a bit cagey and, and, um, Patrick Bateman's a little bit sort of uh, standoffish as well. But then he starts asking him questions about, uh, who was Paul Allen? What is he? And he says, oh, he, me- he mentions a Yale thing. What can you tell me about Paul Allen? I'm at a loss. He was part of that whole Yale thing. Yale thing? Yeah, Yale thing. What do you mean, Yale thing? Well, I think from one that he was probably a closet homosexual who did a lot of cocaine. <laughs> that Yale thing. <laughs> that <laughs> Yale thing. <laughs> so... Can I just stop you, mate? The pleasure that you're getting out of this is far in excess of what you you get without having. It must be that. I think now. I think the pleasure I get out of this is seeing that the movie did the book justice. The the book's a favourite of mine, and it did the it did the book justice. It really did. And Brett Easternell's the author said the same thing. He said the book, the movie was fantastic. It, It really represented quite well, but. Um, the next scene I think is a bit disturbing where he's driving in a limo yeah. in the meatpacking district of New York. Did you recognize that neighborhood, the meatpacking district? Yeah, and when he George sort of does up. his best work. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and he's, uh, he, he picks up the girl and then he takes her back to his apartment and they, he calls another girl. And remember he emphasized, he goes, I want a blonde. blonde. I'll say it again. Blonde, please. Blonde is what he wants. And then he tells the girl, I'm Paul Allen. So he's, he's giving her the impression that, okay, you'll respond to Christy. I'm going to call you Christy. And then the other girl arrives. He goes, oh, not quite blonde, eh? She was sort of more like dirty blonde, even almost a redhead. Redhead, yeah. Goes, yeah, I'm going to call you Sabrina. Remember, he, he names both of them. Yeah. And th- this was where he was, uh, she, she, I think um, the, the, the first girl, the one he called Christy, Says, oh, this is um, it's a really nice apartment. How, how much did you pay for this? And he goes, that's none of your bloody business. That's none of your business, actually. Yeah, but happy to happy to let her know his name and all this. But oh yeah, but draw the yeah, line let's there. Just say it's a lot. Yeah, that's right. Because at and this so, point of the movie, right, you got the at this point of the movie, I'm now trying to piece together what the hell's going on. Okay, so obviously he's killed a bloke, and he's now trying to set up some sort of situation where that bloke becomes the killer or the abuser or whatever he's about to do to these girls. Yep. But, uh, you know, timelines aren't making sense. It's starting to feel very confusing. But, you know, this is where, like, he he plays out some serious sexual fantasies here with these girls. He's got this video camera out, which is a proper flashback from the 80s. Massive, isn't it? How big is it? Yeah. This is set, set, I think, in – there's dispute whether it's set in 1987 or 1989. It's in the late 80s. So oh yeah, the video God, does it matter? Yeah, the video is huge. This is the second good movie uh, music reference because he does yes. the uh, Phil Collins <laughs> reference here, which is Genesis and. Oh, by the way, <laughs> if it, whatever star rating I give this, ninety percent of the stars are the music. 
Yeah, no, the music. Good music. music. Absolutely right. And I like how he's given his monologue again about the music and yeah. just and, and Susudio, he says, oh, this is a personal favourite. Then what I like is that the next thing we see is that, they're, you know, they're into it and he's he's not really paying attention to them. He's he's just flexing in the mirror, pointing at the camera and just re- – it's all about him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which uh, – and then and they all – remember, they all fell asleep in the bed and then – um, he goes to his drawer and then you think, what does he do? And he pulls out a coat hanger and he's got like all tools in this drawer. And then he turns around and he says, we're not done yet. Oof. The next thing you see then is these girls limping out, blues, bruised and bleeding out of his apartment. Yeah. And, uh, and, and off they go into the night. So it's, uh, that was a pretty confronting scene as well. So the next, the next thing we see, he's sort of with the guys again and, they're talking about their theories of women and all that and how, you know, the, you know, one one says, oh, look, I, I imagine this and I want to do this. And then uh, Pete, uh, Patrick Bateman decides to quote Ed Gein, a, the, a serial killer, saying, you know what Ed Gein used to say? Whether, you know, I want to take him out, I want to buy him dinner. He goes, the other part of him wants to imagine what their head would look like on a stick. stick. <laughs> and his mates are thinking, what the hell what are, are you doing? talking about, mate? Yeah. <laughs> because part of the some of the conversations he has, you're thinking, dude, did you just say that out loud, or is this the inner voice? And then when they react, like that yeah. kind of moment, it's like, oh god, he said that out loud to these people. I they think to them, I think to them though, we, we, it's established that everyone thinks he's a bit of a dork, and that what comes out of his mouth, like the, he could tell them anything, and they'll just think he's just he's full of shit. So that they, it doesn't matter what he says. It's I think like it's the established they all think that of each other, right? Yeah, I could say that I'm, you know, of 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 doing this, this, and this, and they'll, they'll think, yeah, whatever, mate. I don't believe you. Say whatever you like. But this is the part. This was a, a funny part as well. When he he goes, Lewis shows him his business card. He's yep. got he's got a thing about business cards, and he realizes he goes, God, and and the business card was he thought it was amazing, and he was so jealous, he walks into the bathroom after him, put his gloves on, is about to strangle the bloke. And then what he does, he turns around. Did you remember this? And he turns around and he feels his skin and kisses his hand as if it's as if he's making a pass at him. He goes, oh, I didn't know if you felt the same way. And then... Yeah. So he, he pulls out of a murder by, you know, some weird act. And therefore, the bloke who was about to be the victim of the murder thinks... He's got the hots for him because he's obviously gay, and he, I think when he when he leaves when he leaves, Lewis is up the top and shouts out, "You know, call me." Call me. <laughs> oh, but he also this is a comedy. <laughs> there, there's there's a line here which I think he uses multiple times in the movie, which he says he's got to return videotapes. Yes. He said that earlier to the detective, I think. He did. He did say that, and um, so the next day, the detective's back. So Kimball, Detective Kimball's come back and they're having a chat about, you know, do you remember where you were? Where were you on the night of December the 20th? And he says, oh, look, I was with the, on a date with a, a woman named Vanessa. And he goes, oh, that's not the information I have. And he happens to open up his suitcase and shows him, show, he, he's, they're talking about the case. He opens up, he's about to leave and he shows them a CD that he just bought. Huey Lewis in the news. Great stuff. I just bought it on my way here. You heard it? Never. I mean, I don't really like singers. Not a big music fan, huh? No, I like music. Just their 
It was too black sounding for me. So it just happens to be the music he was playing when he murdered Paul Allen. Yeah. Yeah. Detective has now got it. So at this point, what were you thinking? With this point, we're thinking, oh, he's gone. He's got him here. Were you thinking that or you No. You I, didn't I, at this point, I don't understand what on <laughs> earth is going on. Why is a detective who's trying to investigate a bloke uh, talking about what CD he just bought and offering to have lunch next week with him? It's just so strange, yeah. mate. But it happened to be the same music he was playing when he killed Paul Allen. The, 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 to me, that, when I saw that, it, I'm thinking, hang that, on a minute. Does it he didn't know at all strike me as being related to the murder. It just struck me as they were trying yeah. to emphasize how big Huey Lewis was at the time. And yeah. that oh, the, well. it was trying to bring these two characters together, in a sense, to say, while one's a you know uh, upstanding citizen policeman, the other's a complete lunatic murderer, you know, two very different people can share the same music tastes. But he denied, though. He denied he liked Huey Lewis, though. He said, said early how much he loved him, but he denied it to the detective. Mm. So we move on. Uh, there's, a, there's a funny nightclub scene where they're all lining up at the bathroom. Did you notice that? There's all lines of people waiting for yep. a stall, and none of them go to the toilet. They're all just snorting coke in the, in the bathroom. And one of them, remember the bloke next door? He's uh, blowing up at him, and they both start swearing at each other. And I think it was Bryce said, he goes, oh, it's, it's all these steroids are doing. They're making me angry. But uh, Patrick, at the, on this night, meets a blonde, yeah. and they're chatting away, and he asks her, do you remember what he asked? He goes, what do you do? And he says, uh, murders Murder and, and executions, executions. mainly, yeah. like instead of mergers and acquisitions, he says, murders and executions. And then at the end of the night, do you remember they're outside, and they're, she, she, she says to him, they have a conversation, she says, you don't think, you think I'm dumb, don't you? And he, he says, no, no, of course not. And then she says to him, I don't know, there's something sweet about you. <laughs> and we see her a little bit later. Well, I'll mention how we see her a little later. We'll, we'll see her. We see her head in his fridge. Yes, that's correct. And later yes. on, when uh, when he invites a Jean over, well, that's the next scene where Jean next day in the office, right? He's playing Jean, with a block of hair from this blonde woman, hair. Isn't it? That's right, exactly. So he's got a lock of blonde hair doing the crossword. Did you notice what the crossword? What he was uh, writing in the crossword? Oh yeah, it's it, uh, meat. Uh, Bone yeah. every word. Bone and meat. Bone and meat was in he, every. He made square. them all cross over. <laughs> and so he asked Jean to dinner, and then he asks her, "Where would you like to go?" And she says, "What about Dorcia?" Dorcia is where Jean wants to go. Oh, I don't know. No, we'll go in wherever you want to go. Dorcia is fine. Uh, Dorcia, yes? Yeah, can you take two tonight at, oh, let's say, 9 o'clock? We're totally booked. Really? That's great. No, I said we are totally booked. Two at 9? Perfect. See you then. <laughs> so she does She does call him out, though, saying... Yes, she doesn't say your name. Didn't leave your name. Oh, they know me. So um, <laughs> anyway, there she says, look, come to my place for, for drinks, and then we'll go to dinner. And she turns up, and uh, I think he offers her a sorbet, and he opens the fridge, and you see the head of the blonde's head in the fridge, you know, in the plastic bag. Yeah. And um, she, he, they're sort of chatting away. That remember the fiance calls, as well. And this is what struck me as like, this is a bit of a plot hole, I reckon, where Jean says to him, "She's his secretary, right? She yeah. probably puts through every call to him." She said, "Are you seeing anyone? You don't reckon his fiance's called him at the office a couple of times?" Yes, sir. Anyway, you're bringing up plot holes. In Weird. this movie? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Dude, the I like whole how he's plot hole. <laughs> I like how he says, though, 
she offers him some sorbet. He goes, no, no, I'm on a diet. She goes, what do you mean you're on a diet? He goes, look, you can always look thinner, look better. So uh, he's, Again, he's, he's the vein, the, the totally and utterly vein thing about it. the knives <laughs> in, the, in his kitchen. At this point, he's he's now plotting to kill this girl who he's got in the yeah. apartment. He's clearly not going to dinner because he doesn't have a, uh, a, a booking. He gets out of, like he's playing with knives and stuff, but he gets out a nail gun. Nail gun. He got the duct tape first and then he put that back, but then he brings the nail gun out as well. Have you used a nail the, gun? I have, yeah. My Don't son's got need- one. Don't they need to be pushed? It's not like a trigger. Yeah, it's like a hide. Yeah, it's you're right. It needs to be. There's pressure on the surface, and he would have need to have bashed the back of her head with that thing oh, to make it work. Yeah. Plot, plot hole. hole. Yeah, plot hole. Another plot hole. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I like how the conversation turns, and they, they he talks about. Look, do you, know, do, do should I go? Should I stay? Do you want me to go? I don't think I can control myself. I know I should go. I know I have a tendency to get involved with unavailable men. And, I mean, do you want me to go? I think if you stay, something bad will happen. (laughs) I think I might hurt you. You don't want to get hurt, do you? No. No, I guess not. I don't want to get bruised. So Which is a great line. It's a great scene because yeah. in any other movie, that's a breakup. That's a, you know, heartbroken. That's the yes. injury. Whereas that's he's talking about end. chopping a freaking head off. <laughs> Absolutely hurt. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just, was... <laughs> it's out of this. The, oh, the, mate, this is just <laughs> insanity. We're off the rails already, mate. Don't worry. It's off the oh, rails. Oh, mate. This is – by now, I am way gone. Okay. So this was felt more like homework than entertainment for you, didn't it? Correct. Anyway, <laughs> next up, we're back in Paul Allen's apartment. So he's he's cruised around yeah. in the limo, picked up Christy, the girl, from the meatpacking district, yep. offered her a water cash, said, look, come with me. She says to him, look, I had to go to the emergency room last time. I can't believe she gets back in the car with him. She He offers her a ton of cash. And they're back at Paul Allen's apartment, and you may have noticed he was had the wine, and there there were um, he was putting like the spike in the wine with sedative mm. or something. And um, <laughs> Christy says to him, "This uh, this apartment's nicer than your other apartment." <laughs> <laughs> the ultimate insult. <laughs> and he's sort of then talking to the two of them, says, "Look, you know." I want to see you make out with her, and then the girl says, "Don't you get lewd?" You know. Anyway. Cut, cut to the next the next section, and they're both obviously affected by the drugs in the wine, and they're making out on the lounge while he's talking his next monologue about Whitney Houston. It's hard to choose a favorite among so many great tracks. But the greatest love of all is one of the best, most powerful songs ever written about self-preservation. This universal message crosses all boundaries and stills one with the hope that it's not too late to better ourselves. So what I love about that, by the way, is it's the music playing is not the, um, you know, the single version or the radio edit. That's uh, like a, you know, concert performance version of the greatest version. love of all. And it's yes. uh, like, it's a pretty epic, like it's an orchestra version. Yep. I actually... 
sitting because I know why. Do you know no. why that is? No, why? Because Whitney Houston refused to play, let them play her song. Oh. She didn't want it played. That's wow. why they used the generic instrumental version. She refused to let them have the rights to her song. So they just used the instrumental version, which is wasn't a, a credited to her. That was just a generic Well, she's version. an idiot because it had the same impact uh, and she didn't get any money from it. Yeah. So, Because well, for me, yeah. like I, I, like seriously, these songs, it's my, it's my growing up. It's like, Totally my yeah, childhood. Good 80s music was awesome. Yeah, and that, yeah. that Whitney Houston song, it was it was very powerful. Like, listening to that, it's like, dude, that is yeah. – you're right, dude. This is actually very powerful. The earliest part of that little monologue, he said there were four number one singles from that album, mm. he was saying. It was hard to choose a favourite. Um, so, anyway, meanwhile, the girls are uh, – they, they adjourn to the bedroom, and then it's all happening. And then suddenly you see the Christy, the other girl – that he picked up in the limo suddenly sees the sheets turning red and Patrick's making these stabbing motions. And he, she realizes that he's stabbing her to death in the bed mm. and he, she decides to run away and he gives chase. And do you remember when he sort of, the, he, she bumps into the bathroom and there's other bodies in the bathroom and he she gets up a closet. Him. Yeah. There's bodies in the closet and she grabs him. Uh, he grabs her by the leg and she kicks him in the face. Remember, he says, mm. not the face. Remember, <laughs> he was worried that he was going to damage his face. But um, did you find, I think, this part of the, this scene, I'm thinking, is this real? Is this a dream, this part? Or well, is it all so, a dream? I'll be honest. What the dream thing, the dream thing didn't come to me until the very, very end of the movie, right? It okay. didn't the the reality versus um you know fiction in in his mind didn't come to me until the very end of the movie. At this point of the movie, I'm going, dude, you're running around with a chainsaw. How's no one else waking up? Okay, this is well, stupid. A, now, this one interpretation of this that I read was, and from the director, I think said this. She was saying that everyone is so absorbed, self-absorbed, they wouldn't notice someone running around with a chainsaw. That's how self-absorbed they are. So that's her explanation for this. Well, I think and, that's a that's so that's yeah. a commentary on that's another commentary on yeah. the 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 self indulgent society yeah. of the time, you know. So yeah. I get yeah. so it's it's a good way to look at it because instead of picking it apart as a reality, you know, why would anyone live through that? It's it's observed and scripted for the observation of that uh, you know yeah. societal because um, no failing. One, yeah. Like and we saw it before, where he was saying things, you know, heads on a stick and stuff, like that, and they, they didn't take him seriously. They're no. all they're all too self-involved. But um, the so we see he remember he drops the chainsaw down the down the He's stairwell. Fall, he, he, he doesn't chase. Her. Yeah. This is a really cool scene because he doesn't chase yeah. her. He just stands there waving the chainsaw, and then you realize, oh, he's going to time this, yeah. and he times it obviously to perfection, so that as yeah. she hits the the landing. He he's dropped the chainsaw and she dies as she reaches the ground floor, horrifically. Very, like horrifically. Very, oh, it's terrible. But the very next shot you see is him, a drawing of what he just did on a yes. tablecloth, right at a restaurant. And he's, breaking, he's breaking up with Evelyn, so he's breaking up. He's 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 drawing it on the on the tablecloth, and then he tells her this. I want a firm commitment. I think um. Evelyn, that uh, we've lost touch. Why? What's wrong? My need to engage in homicidal behavior on a massive scale cannot be corrected, but uh, I have no other way to fulfill my needs. We need to talk. Talk about what, Patrick? It's over, Evelyn. It's all over. 
touchy touchy. I'm sorry I brought up the wedding. Let's just avoid the issue, all right? So do you think that was another example, though, where she didn't hear what he said? No, that's right. It's another observation of yeah. this stuck-up, so, rich chick who just wants, because he's obviously rich, she just wants him married so that she's got the perfect life. She's not. Yeah. She's never listened to him. This 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 scene shows that she's never listened to him. Well, he, he just said, he goes, I need to kill you know, homicidal behaviour on a massive scale. Yeah. And while he was telling her that, you may have noticed that a friend of hers on the other side of the restaurant walks in, shows off a bracelet, and and, Reese, and Evelyn says, oh, that's beautiful. She mouths, oh, that's beautiful, right in the middle of what Patrick was trying to tell her. Yeah. <laughs> so she's, she's obviously not present. And and again, what does he say to her? Where he goes, I'm leaving. He says, where? Where, where are you going? Return what does he say to her? And it's a videotape, so that's right. So this, we moved on. This, this is the point. Like this, I mean, if it wasn't the point earlier, this is the point where it just goes, I'm just going to say yeah. it, folks. Batshit crazy. Okay. It's crackers. Yes, it is. Yeah. In the book, right? In the book, there were chapters where they describe his behavior where he does these really strange things. He get, he screams like a banshee in a crowded train station, does all this crazy stuff. This is, I think, a little summary of, of all those times where he right. loses a little bit in the in the book. And so in this scene, he's out again at night. He's at the ATM, notices a stray cat. And what does the ATM say? Feed me a stray cat. Yeah. <laughs> he tries to put the cat in the ATM. So I'm thinking as well, he's he's lost his mind a little bit. He's and on drugs or something. Just, just to let you know, like Christian Bale did a great interview with Charlie Rose about this. He did an interview with Brett Easton Ellis. Mary Harron, the director, and him. And how he described the character's arc in the movie, he says he goes from psychopath to psychotic. That's that's his arc in the movie. So yeah. this is real. I think I, I reckon I'm still confident that he's lost his mind. He was a psychopath before, but he's lost his mind now. He's a psychopath. Really? He's lost his mind, yes. Because so he I think turns he's and shoots a woman edge. in the face here. Do it, well, he's a, he's lost it. He's a, he's a psychopath now. He's, he's psychotic now, and, and I think this this is probably an exact another exaggeration in his own mind. He probably did something to this degree. What what convinced me that it was pretty that it was all bullshit was when he fires one bullet at the cop cars and they blow up. Yeah. Seemingly innocuous shot blows up the cop car. He shoots the doorman and all this sort of stuff. And then heads back to his office. There's helicopters, so he's he's really neurotic as well. And he's up in his office, and <laughs> he actually no. Before he goes back to his office, no, sorry, we, we're out of order here. He he does call his lawyer. Remember, he That's goes right. into the building, kills the doorman. Here's the helicopter, and then calls his lawyer. Howard, it's Bateman, Patrick Bateman. <laughs> You're my lawyer, so I think you should know I've killed a lot of people. Some escort girls in an apartment uptown. Uh, some homeless people, maybe five or ten. Um, an NYU girl I met in Central Park. I left her in a parking lot behind some donut shop. I killed Bethany, my old girlfriend, with a nail gun. Uh, and uh, some a man, of a little faggot with a dog. <laughs> Last week, I, uh, I killed another girl with a chainsaw. <laughs> I had to. <laughs> He's, this is just spill it out, everything that he's done. It's pretty good some acting because it's, a, it's the mixture know, of yeah. 
just overwhelming satisfaction, joy, freaking out. You know, it's the yeah. whole thing. Lo- but, but losing it too. He's, sort of over, yeah, he's lost the game. Right? Because you're thinking he's just shot someone. How, how does the police know where he is? So there's that there's that reality distortion problem here. But, you know, you you know that's what he does. He's, yeah. he's decided to, to confess because he, he needs to have a defense against everything that's just happened. Yeah. What adds to that too is this next scene where he goes back to Paul Allen's apartment to clean yeah. up. And he discovers that there. the apartment's on sale. There's, it's empty, and there's an agent in there selling it. So he's thinking, again, you're thinking, has he lost it? Is this real? Well, it What's kind of happening? makes sense, though, right? Because Paul Allen's yeah. dead. He's, he's losing his grip. Yeah. So if he hasn't paid his rent or someone's decided to foreclose on the on the house, so it's being sold. That That makes sense. But it's completely empty. The bodies are gone. Everything's yeah. gone. If they were real and those bodies were discovered, it would be a crime scene. So. It didn't happen. Yeah. So the, the, what? So you can see you're sort of losing touch with reality over here a little bit, right? Go. Memory makes the phone call. He, he says, "He says I oh, don't think I'm going to make it back in the office." You know, he rings Gene, his secretary, and I think in in all of the other characters in the movie, she's the only one who sees him for what he is. Right. She realizes then that this guy's a nutcase, and realizes that there's something happening. And do you remember then she goes in his office? And discovers his journal with all the all the violent graphic drawings, yeah. you know, murders and stuff in it. Yeah. So she's the only one who thinks, well, this guy's a, is a maniac. He's a and complete nut job. Complete nut job. So we next see this. We're into the last scene now, where he sees his lawyer again. Remember, he made that phone call. Yeah. And so he sees him in the fiscal, and, and he goes up to him to talk to him. You get my message. Jesus, yes. That was hilarious. That was you, wasn't it? Yeah, natural. Bateman killing Alan and the escort girls. That's fabulous. That's rich. What exactly do you mean? The message you left. By the way, Davis, how's Cynthia? You're still seeing her, right? Wait, Harold. What do you mean? Oh, excuse me. Nothing. It's good to see you. Is that Edward Towers? Come on, wait. Davis. I'm not one to badmouth anyone. Your joke was amusing. But come on, man. You had one fatal flaw. Bateman is such a dork. Such a boring, spineless lightweight. Now, if you said Bryce or McDermott. Otherwise, it was amusing. So, again, he's mistaken for someone else, Davis. Yep. And, again, yep. that person t- calls Patrick Bateman a dork. A dork to his face. Now, this guy, does this guy even exist? Like, no one notices him. If he's murdering people, no one notices him. And but, so the problem is, and I thought that that's exactly what I thought. Is this bloke even real? But then the lawyer there says he did hear the call. So the call was made. Yes, and he nothing, thought it was a joke. But yes, he thought it was happened. a joke. The call yes. was made, but nothing happened. He admitted to something he didn't and, do. Like, it's so Patrick, confusing. Patrick Bateman continues. I killed him. I'm Patrick Bateman. chopped Alan's fucking head off. The whole message I left on your machine was true. So remember, he was, he was, Patrick Bateman was disturbed that he says, I'm Patrick Bateman, you idiot. It's me. I did it. He confessed. And then the very next line is, well, that can't be right. I had dinner with Paul Allen in London 10 days ago. But again, here, so you stop there and you go, hang on a minute. But is that real? Because they all, they're all having dinner with people that don't know who their names are. That's right. So right? see how it's all a big maelstrom. Confusing, of mate. Yeah, yeah. 
but it, but it's again a, a, a sort of a commentary on everyone blending into everyone else. Everyone's trying to outdo each other, but they're blending into everyone else. There's no one, no original. There's no one original. They're all the same. Oh, they're all no. drones. They're all the same. None so, of that makes sense. I'm you. so what we see, the very last scene is uh, Jean in his office sees his his journal. So he, she's she's cuts back to her. She's seeing all these violent images. Yep. yep. They're listening to Ronald Reagan's speech. Yep. On the TV, which suggests it was 1987, the, the year, and uh, he realizes that confessions meant nothing. And he says, "Look, I'm. I'll, you might. You, you look at me. You might see a person, but there's. But underneath, I'm nothing. I'm a nobody." Yeah. There's nothing there. And that is the end of the movie. And honestly, <laughs> I no, it still doesn't make sense. Yeah, well, I don't think it's meant to be like a plot that has a, a, a beginning, middle and end. It's There's no sort of t- twist in the end or resolution. It's it's just like a commentary on this guy sort of losing. That's his arc, though. He sort of loses grip. He starts out sane as a psychopath, then becomes a psychopath who's insane. So if if you can understand that he's he's lost his edge, loses touch with reality, and eventually becomes the person we see. Anyone who case. understands that has some sort of psychopathic <laughs> problem of their own, Stephen. Yes. Okay. Well, let's continue. Uh, we're running a bit long here. Let's talk. Let's move on to our favourite quotes. And my, this this was my first favourite here. I'm on the verge of tears by the time we arrive at a spot, since I'm positive we won't have a decent table. But we do. And relief washes over me in an awesome way. He was worried about having a decent table. Honestly. He's on the verge of tears. <laughs> so worried about it. Yeah. And I, I think the line as well, after he's murdered uh, Paul Allen, this was also <laughs> as well. Try getting a reservation at Dorsian now. <laughs> Did you also hear this line? Where he, where, remember the first time he met Detective Kimball? Did you see what excuse he gave him, who he, he was having lunch with? Did you hear this? Listen, oh. you'll have to excuse me. I have a lunch meeting with Cliff Huxtable at Four Seasons in 20 minutes. Uh, the Four Seasons? Isn't that a little far uptown? I mean, aren't you going to be late? No, there's one down here. Cliff Huxtable. Dr. Huxtable. And the line that you noticed, mate, I'm very happy you noticed this. Do you remember where you were the night of Paul's disappearance, which was on the 20th of December? God, I guess I was probably returning videotapes. (laughs) He does a lot of that. And this is probably one of my favorite lines of the movie at the end of that phone call where he was making his confession. (laughs) I... Just had to kill a lot of people. <laughs> I know. I'm laughing and yeah. I don't know why. <laughs> right. Uh, well, this is a the, the this is plot hole slash book versus movie. Okay. Really, I can't really say. And you sort of referred to this before. There's no plot holes because there's no plot. Yeah. Right. No, no, no. Okay. But just let me say, versus the book, very faithful to the book. Now, the people who are sort of saying it, it is explicit in parts, it is violent in parts, but in total, there are four pages of explicit violence in the book, four pages out of 384 pages. Wow. So it was there was mostly commentary, but these, these pretty dramatic 
bits, violent scenes in the book, but four pages out of 384. In the book as well, things, the scenes are in a different order. So the things happen in the movie. Right. In the book, they happen in a different order. So there's a bit of a shuffle around for, to do that. Which and in wouldn't the book make too, a rat's ass a difference if you uh, put the movie all, backwards, no. frankly. Absolutely right. Yeah, I don't think it would make any difference whatsoever, apart from the Paul Allen murder and all In fact, that. I challenge you to watch this movie backwards. Play the last <laughs> yeah. scene, the second last scene, I don't think like, it would make a difference. It'd be like that movie Memento, which we'd have to cover in the near future. That's sort of a backwards movie, but that's a story for another day. And uh, in the book, Paul Allen, he's, actually his name in the book was Paul Owen. I don't know why, but... Paul Allen, isn't he? Wasn't he the co-founder, co-founder of Microsoft? Co-founder of Microsoft, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking, why, why make it a name that you know in the movie, whereas yeah. in the book it wasn't? Anyway, things you might not know, Trev, this established Christian Bale, as I mentioned. Yeah. He fought to get this role. Have a guess who was attached to this before him. Pretty big name. Brad Pitt? Oh, no, no. Leonardo DiCaprio oh, wow. and Brad Pitt. Leonardo DiCaprio was going to star in this movie. Oliver Stone was going to direct it. Brad Pitt was also attached at one point with another director, who was interested in the book as soon as it was published. There was also, uh, he was also circling. Johnny Depp was also interested, Keanu Reeves. But Mary Harron, the director, really wanted Christian Bale. The studio wanted Leo, but he he got spooked. He he he, he quit. And uh, Ewan McGregor even was, was in the running. But apparently he stepped down after Christian Bale asked him to. Christian right. Bale said, listen, mate, this is good for me. Probably not as good for you. So can you please... Cease and desist, and he did. Wow. He stepped in. Bale, as I said, got in shape, had the dental work done. Did you know as well that Christian Bale is Welsh? You hear his Charlie Rose interview, he's got a Welsh accent. He's Welsh, right? And for people on the set, the crew didn't know. They thought he was here because he maintained his accent even between scenes. Wow. He maintained his American accent. So they heard him talk, and they think, what are you preparing for another role? He goes, no, mate, this is how I talk. Brett Easton Ellis says the name Bateman is derived from the main character of the Psycho film. And we saw Psycho, I was going to say, is there, yeah, the yes. Norman Bates. Norman Bates. So you take Norman Bates, so Bateman is uh, his surname. Uh, and we also talked about the music. The, mu- the musicians featured in this, Robert Palmer, Phil Collins, Genesis, Huey Lewis and the News, Whitney Houston, New Order. Great, There was a great scene where they're playing True Faith. Simply read. And as yeah. I said, there were whole chapters in the book uh, dedicated to these monologues that, that were just scenes in the movie. This movie, would you believe, had a budget of just $7 million. Wow. And let me tell you now, the majority of the budget was paid to license the music in the movie. Wow. It was very low budget. for The actors didn't get much. Now, there were real-life brands mentioned all throughout the book. Yep. But they were very reluctant to be mentioned in the film. Saruti was the only clothing brand that agreed, as long as Bale was wearing the Saruti when he wasn't murdering anyone. So <laughs> as long as if he doesn't kill anyone, we're happy to wear the suit. If he's wearing, if he's murdering someone, he wears another suit. Wow. Uh, that also went applied to Rolex as well. Rolex is mentioned in the book. Remember that scene where they're in bed? She bumps his hand and says, "Don't touch the watch." In the book, she says, he says, don't touch the Rolex. But in the movie, Rolex could only be worn by other characters except Bateman. Huh. That, that, was their, that was their condition. Now, this is a funny one too. Christian Bale admits he based his performance on Tom Cruise 
and Nicolas Cage. Tom Cruise, he mentioned his extreme friendliness. Hmm. Yeah, his extreme friendliness in an interview. And by the way, Tom Cruise is in the book. They live in the same apartment building. In the book, Tom Cruise lives in his apartment building, Patrick Bateman's apartment building. And Nicolas Cage, there was this over-the-top performance he did in this horror comedy, Vampire's Kiss. So it was, he took a bit of Nicolas Cage, a bit of Tom Cruise. That was his basis for Patrick Bateman. Would you also believe, Trev, <laughs> this was turned into a Broadway play? Oh, go away. <laughs> it was. It Honestly. ended its running June. June 2016 is when it finished. It ran on Broadway in 2016. Stop it. Stop it was it. a Broadway show. I swear it was. Uh, Guinevere, Guinevere Turner, who was played, remember the scene where he's in Paul Allen's apartment and he's with uh, Elizabeth and he wants her to make out with the prostitute, with the call girl? That girl, that's Guinevere Turner. Mm. She was the co writer of the screenplay. The thing. And, but there's an ironic scene where she says, What do you think I am? I'm not a lesbian. But in reality, she actually is a lesbian. She's in real life, she's a lesbian. So, yeah, uh, Willem Dafoe, um, he was told, you know, how there were three scenes with Willem Dafoe, right? First one, where he meets him for the first time, second time, and then at lunch. And the director told him, play each scene different. Play the first scene as if he knew that he killed him. Play the oh. second scene as if he didn't know. And play the third scene as if, as if he's unsure either way, just to keep the suspense, keep the mystery. Reese Witherspoon was in this movie. She was actually three months pregnant in this movie. So you, you have another look at the movie. You'll see she's always seated at a table. She's carrying a pig at the Christmas party. She's she's sitting down. She's in the cab. So you never you never see her full her full head to toe because she's three months pregnant. So uh, there's that. Now uh, Huey Lewis. This is on YouTube. You've got to watch this. He parried parodied parried. Did I say it? parodied mm-hmm. the scene? of the Paul Allen murder, but he does it with Weird Al Yankovic. So Weird Al Yankovic is on the thing pretending he's off his head. Huey Lewis is in the raincoat, murders Weird Al Yankovic, and he says, try try taking the piss out of one of my songs now. Remember how Weird Al Yankovic used to used to do the sort of the, the piss take of the song? Yeah. That's on YouTube. It's very funny. It's like that show, Funny or Die. Yep. Well, you should watch that. I've Did got you notice? Yeah. <laughs> Did you notice, Trev, they never did any work? Patrick no. Bateman, did you ever see him working? Uh, no, but he was, he was the boss's son, word. so, you know. Yeah, he was doing the crossword. None of them were doing any work, though. Never doing any work. Two scenes where Christian Bale improvised. The first one was when he was jumping rope. Remember at the start? He was doing his skipping. And apparently he does, he does, a, he does a cross jump like a – like a schoolgirl would, and that was that wasn't in the script. He did a cross jump. The other time where he improvised was in the scene where he's about to murder Paul Allen, and he does the moonwalk. Remember, he moonwalks, and then when he when he walks away from the when he starts playing his hip to be square, mm. and he sort of does this little dance. That was also improvised as well. The director apparently was behind the camera just just pissing herself laughing. Did you also notice in the business card scene, Trev? There was typo on the business card. Oh, which one? The word acquisition was spelt without a C. It was spelt acquisition is spelt A C Q U I S T I T I O N S. It was spelt without a without a C. It was A Q. Yeah. The sign as well. And and this this is if you're a book nerd like me who read this book and loved this book, the very last scene, the last shot of the of the movie, 
Patrick Bateman sitting in front of a door on a door on the door is a sign that says this is not an exit. That's the they are the last words of the novel. Oh, that's I like that. That's a nice rounding out of the movie. Just tied it up in a little bow. Wow. So there we have it, mate. You've now seen or tried to see American Psycho. Oh no, I've seen it. Be honest, do you, do you have any further appreciation of it now or is it still just a just a big mess in your mind? Big mess. <laughs> Confusing mess. Uh, okay. And, you know, that's like, let's be honest, that's fine because, you know, but like I, I guess over time we need to discover this, but there must be movies that you have no desire for. And I think that's... Yeah. Yeah, because, yeah but I think... Know, there's one time I over a hurdle. I, I think I know with you that there, if you you already have a you have a strong perception of a movie you've never seen before, and you think, yeah, mm. like the Fifth Element's perfect example where you're thinking that looks like crap to me. But when at its essence, it's a story, and and you got mm. over that all that bullshit, and, then and you this appreciate been, this could have been the same if it had a story. Yeah, <laughs> but I think mate, going in, you hadn't read the book, so you're going in cold. I had read the book, so I knew what to expect. I was ex- oh, I'll tell you right now, mate. Of this was different. You, Amazon could offer me and you a million dollars, and I would not do a podcast called "The Best Books You've Never Read" because yeah. I've never read a book either. So, mate, that's just never happening. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> bottom right. line, mate. Bottom line, I, I haven't, I haven't changed my view radically on it. I, I'm not a fan of the movie. I get it, or it's pop culture, and it's. I guess societal observational references. I I do like that part of it, um, but mate, it's a hard five out of ten for me. Okay, well, mate, I, I rate this movie. I, I I know it off by heart. That movie, I've seen it so many times, and I laugh at it. It, it isn't. I don't watch it for the murder. Honestly, watch watching for, you while yeah. we record has been the best part of this whole movie. Your, <laughs> in fact, I'll say to you this: your passion or your enjoyment. No, not your passion, because your passion yeah. for other movies is very different. But your enjoyment yeah. around this this movie is what's given me the most satisfaction. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that because it is. Like I said, I don't watch it for the murders. I watch it for the for, <laughs> for Patrick, Patrick Bateman making a dickhead of himself and and have people calling him a dork and all that. It's funny. But anyway, yeah. What next week we've got a treat for you, mate. Next week we are watching Heat, oh. directed by Michael Mann. Now, quick quiz for you, mate. Tell me who are the star who stars in the movie Heat? Is it A, Al Pacino, B, Robert De Niro, C, Val Kilmer, or D, all of the above? Yeah, I don't think Val. I mean, it's probably Robert De Niro. And all of the above, mate. Oh, this is a movie that brings together Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, Val Kilmer. Tom Sizemore, uh, Danny Trejo, fantastic cast. And we are going to see it on next week's episode of the best movies you've never seen. Mate, you thought I was excited about watching American Psycho. Look out. Next week, it's going to be big. Well, I love um, this movie. I am looking forward to that. I hope it's a better movie than this one. Um, in the meantime, <laughs> it would be awesome if people could leave a rating and a review. If you're if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, that's the best way to do it. There was a, a couple of reviews of late. A shout-out to Giovanni, 2005, who yes. uh, whose, whose review said, gets me wanting to watch these movies again. 
Uh, really, really nice review, mate. We appreciate that. It's Actually, just a- Giovanni reached out to me and was he's a big Rocky fan, as am I, and I promised him we're doing You've Rocky. Bumped it. Early- You've bumped it up the list, haven't no, you? No, no, it was already on the list. It was already on the list. Rocky early in 2022. He said, can't wait. So thanks, Giovanni. All right. I'm looking forward to heat, and I hope it's a whole lot better than this one. It lives up to its name. It's hot movie. It's a, it's excellent. And we want to also want to give a special shout-out to, to our great sponsors, Fetch. And High Sense, so Fetch, if you want to, if you want to catch your movies, and High Sense, if you want to enjoy it on a big screen, that's the way to go. Talk to you next week, mate. Good on you. We'll talk to you then.